This, this is the Counts Fire Podcast, where we introduce our members and our mutual aid department members while educating the community and bringing value to the fire service. And now, here's another episode of the Counts Fire Podcast. This is Kevin Billingsley, firefighter engineer here at Couch Fire, and today I'm speaking with Matt Kodacek, Lieutenant Matt Kodacek from the Crown Point Fire Department. Matt, thanks for coming in today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We like to talk to everybody in the area about their fire service experience, and you didn't start in Crown Point. You started elsewhere before that, but how many years have you been in the fire service? So I've been in the fire service uh, 22 years. I started in 1999 over on Lake Hills uh, Fire Department over by uh, Sherville St. John area when I was a senior in high school. Um, I got in the fire department because my brother was on the fire department previous. Um, he had just kind of moved out towards Valparaiso when I was coming on. And then before that, my dad was on the fire department on Lake Hills when I was a kid. So I kind of grew up down at Lake Hills going there as a kid um, and hanging out. So it was just kind of a natural progression. It was something... You know, my dad did it, my brother did it. It's just something I kind of always wanted to be part of. Now, how long have you been on Crown Point? So I got on Crown Point um, as a volunteer in 2004, and then I've been full-time since 2009. Okay. So I'm. this is my uh, finishing up my 12th year I'm completing, and then uh, got promoted in 2020 to lieutenant. Another thing I like to ask everybody is in the time that you've served in the fire service, has there been a lot of changes? That uh, you can note? Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, again, starting in 1999, that was pre, you know, um, 9-11. You, you know, I was kind of on that cusp of, you know, a lot of the technologies, like thermal imaging cameras, brand new, integrated pass devices, even when I started in 99, didn't exist. We all shared, you know, there was only so many SCBA masks. It was a lot of that old technology from the mid-90s and all that into the early 2000s. So, yeah, I've been pretty fortunate to see, it, you know, I'm only, I just turned 41, but I feel like, you know, um, I kind of age myself that like, you know, the first fire trucks I rode in were open, you know, open cabs in the back. Like, and it was still their manual, you know, you know, manual um, transmissions. You know, we, I had to learn on like how to double clutch, you know, when I was like, you know, 18 or, you know, 19, 20 years old. You mean, so I, I feel kind of like an old, like an old timer, (laughs) you know, you know, I talk about that, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they were, you know, we didn't have, you know, all all automatic fire trucks. You had to know how to drive stick, you know, and you had to, so yeah, in my career, you know, so far in my, in my, in my tenure, my career, I've seen a huge amount of changes into modernizing the fire service. And you you, you brought up a past device. Now there might be someone listening that doesn't understand what that is. Could you describe that a little bit for them? So the pass device is it basically it, it, the way it works is if a firefighter goes down and is motionless for a certain amount of time, it, it alerts. When we start, you know, when I started in the fire service, it was carried like the fire, the pass devices were individual and they were carried on the firefighters on their bunker coat and they had to manually turn them on. But as um, time has gone on, they've all been integrated into the actual SCBA units that you know, like it's automatic, like it, there's no turning it on or turning off. Um, but yeah, that um, the pass device, you know, that that's a huge technology that you know, un- unfortunately, due to line of duty deaths, you know, that really forced the fire service to you know step up their game and place those, make those more integrated um, compared to when I when I started in the fire service. If you look at videos of when we train 
you'll see guys standing there shaking, they're moving. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not because they're cold or because right. they're having an issue. It's because it's, when when they stop moving, that pass device will go off, and it, it gets kind of annoying after a while when everybody's yeah. standing there, you know. But when a fireman goes down and he's motionless, um, that's a, our way of being able to find him in the dark, in the thick smoke, and understand that there's an emergency there. Here recently, you came by the Couch Fire Department and gave a really good presentation about Ben's Blue Bags. Would you mind explaining what Ben's Blue Bag is, how you uh, came up with the idea, when, and and why? Yeah, so uh, Ben's Blue Bags is a program that I developed. um, It's about educating and supporting first responders with bags containing sensory stimulation items that help uh, de-escalate autistic and special needs patients during an overstimulation and emergency situation. I was inspired um, to to create Ben's Blue Bags um, after I saw an article in like in Journal of Emergency Medical Services, like they call it GEMS. Um, just, you know, it's like a fire magazine, but for more on the medical side. And there was a firefighter paramedic, someone myself, his name is Eric Henry, and he was out in Ohio. And he, they did an article on him about doing sentry bags on an ambulance. And having my son, Ben, who I named the Ben's Bags program after, basically my mom actually went to me and said, hey, you know, why, you know, why don't you put these bags at Crown Point? I think they'd be really good. So I, kind of, I, I talked to um, Eric, I talked to the, their administration in, out in Ohio, and they basically sent me, this is what the bags are and like what's in them. So I created, I, you know, I basically, I copycat the bags off them at first, but when I went to you know, set these bags up for my fire, for Crown Point Fire, I realized that there there was no, like, formal training. There was like, okay, here's a sensory bag, but there was nothing there to actually train, you know, the firefighters, the paramedics, you know, and even now police officers up on it. So that's what inspired me. I, you know, I looked at a couple different, pres- you know, power uh, PowerPoint or some presentations, and I just kind of morphed those initial, you know, uh, things into what I've turned Ben's Blue Bags into now. Now Ben's Blue Bags is a, you know, two-hour presentation where we cover different um, things with Ben's Blue Bags. So we go over the definition of the disorder, we cover population statistics, understand how autistic people see the world, how to interact with an autistic person. We discuss real-life scenarios um, and then we go into the Ben's Blue Bags initiative, evaluate how well first responders are um, managing patients with ASD. And then at the end, I do a 10-question test. And that's what the program's turned into. Now, the difference between this program and anybody else I've, I've, I've searched out and I have people now contact me is nobody is really doing a program where, like, it's coming from a first responder and yet a parent that also has a son on the spectrum. And... It, I stumbled across this. This was something I never was like, that was never the plan, never the idea of Ben's Blue Bags. It was just, hey, I want to do these bags on the fire department. I want to train up my my coworkers or my, you know, you know, my, my brothers and sisters with the fire department that they understand how to use it and how to, you know, how to, how to, you know, treat somebody. And that was it. One of the interesting things, where did the blue color come from? Why is it blue? So, so the reason I want the blue is kind of, it's a multiple things. One, Ben's favorite color is blue, and he's always loved the color blue. And Ben's blue bags, I'm like, B, 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 goes, it, it really kind of rolls off the tongue. The other thing was is when I was looking at the bags, because the, the original bags I saw from Eric Henry in Ohio was he just had some green bags, and they were just kind of pull-string bags. So I looked at the colors. I actually brought the bags up on Amazon. I was showing Ben the different colors, and he's like, point, he's like, blue. He wanted, he liked the blue. And I went with this 
I tried to go with like a brighter blue or teal blue is that it, I didn't want it to look like any other bag that we carry like at the EMS or, or you know, on the ambulances or on the fire trucks or police departments. And I thought about like um, like the pedo 2 bags that a lot of the departments had where they're like a bright orange. It just sticks out. So I wanted a bag that didn't look like anything else. So it didn't get kind of um, mixed in the bag, you know, you know, in the with all the other EMS bags or different stuff I carry. I wanted something that stood out. Right, and so, I mean, definitely, we have them in the chief's truck, and whenever you walk up, I mean, there's that blue bag. It, yeah, it you stands past, out. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you see it. I mean, you don't even try to see it. You see it. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. yeah because, like, when you need it, I want you guys to be able to find it. I want I want you to, you know, like, like recognize you see that color. You know what? You know it. You don't have to, like, go ruffle around. If, if it was a black bag, it probably would get mixed in with a bunch of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. another black bag or, right. you know, some of the other, you know, darker colors we have. So having something that stuck out like I wanted, you know. That it was just it, when you needed it, it's easy for you to find. Now you've you've trained up quite a few different fire departments and police departments, and uh, what, what kind of numbers do you have there? So since the program started, um, I've been to over th- uh, thirty different fire slash EMS departments. Um, three police departments now um, have came on board with it. Uh, we've done over forty presentations have been completed. Uh, 85 bags have been donated and to date over 600 first responders have gone through the program. Now, how does, how does the bags get donated? How does that work? So the, the way the bags, um, or the program's been, I've been able to cover so many departments is I had, or, and so many personnel is the original like bags were donated to Crown Point Fire Department. And then from there I had St. Anthony's, um, EMS Academy, when I, I worked there, or I worked there as an EMT instructor and uh, teach different EMS classes. And Rob Dowling, who is our EMS educator coordinator, saw what we were doing in Crown Point and felt strong enough that every you know any any of our agencies that fall under the St. Anthony's system, he wanted me to provide the class and you know the bags out to them. So then that that helped bring on departments like Sherville, Valparaiso. Cedar Lake, uh, anybody that fell in the St. Anthony system. And then from there, uh, there was an article that was done about the program. And I had this local family in Crown Point. Again, they have to rena- uh, remain anonymous, but they, um, this, you know, this family reached out to me and they had a f- uh, foundation and they liked what I was doing with the, <laughs> they liked what I was doing with the program. And they, you know, they kind of asked me, you know, what, what, what do you want to do with this? You know, where do you see it going? I said, you know, my, my initial goal is to do district wide. So, you know, in Indiana district one, that's a five County area. And that makes up Lake County, Porter County, LaPorte County on the top. And then you have Newton Jasper. And with that, you know, we, we figured out there was over 150 different fire departments. And, you know, I said, I'd like to be able to go out and present. And we shot him a, we shot him a quote around 20,000. And we said, we do so many bags, so many presentations and so and and work on like getting the presentation updated like I from something I wrote on PowerPoint you know with my you know with my limited skills um, to you know being a more professional and they she they basically um, sent me a check and said you know um, it had to be through a five hundred one c three it had to be, you know it wasn't like hey Matt Kodachek's taking. The, the donation. So we set it up through the through the district the way, you know, we kind of get a grant from the state because the district's a 501c3 and the district one training council was kind of made a line item as Benzo bags currently. And um, 
we took the donation in and it's allowed me to go out and make the presentation better, do so many bags and do so many, you know, do so many presentations. So, um, just last week I was in Maryville. I did uh Maryville fire and police. And I even talked to them about from the foundation. They said, you know, I, when originally I thought we were just going to check kind of just do fire departments, they're like, no, we don't care. As long as it's first responders and you're going out and training them in, as long as it, it has to be in district one for them to do it, we're fine with that. And they allowed me to, you know, do so many bags. So, um, yeah, so it was pretty cool doing, you know, you know, and the bigger departments, obviously we could donate more bags to than the smaller departments. But what's been amazing is the smaller departments are the ones that like kind of jump on, like, you know, coming to Couts um, just in Westville, where like here, like like I was able, you know, small department here, I just sum up with one bag, and they immediately were like, "We want three additional." Like that part's, I'm amazed every time that like the small departments want them like on more than just one apparatus. Like it's that part has been really cool. Now, if you could give us a quick rundown of what's in the bag, like what makes the bag actually work? How how does someone use it to to either communicate or to keep them calm or and how, how does that work? So the bags are, are designed to, once you've uh, attended the class and, and learn the why and learn why like somebody that's on the spectrum um, does certain things and and um, and can be overstimulated, the bags are there to help you. It's, it's a tool. It's, it's a, it, hel- it helps you as a first responder to help calm them down. So the stuff that, that falls in the bags is we have a set of fidget spinners. Early sense of autism is spinning of objects. You know, like if you remember the picture, I, you know, I put up when we talk about, you know, what's early science, spinning mm-hmm. of objects. They love spinning of objects. So train wheels, gears, a fidget spinner, you know, goes right along with it. The next thing is the earmuffs. You know, the earmuffs are great for canceling out white noise when they're overstimulated, you know, having a hard time, you know, too much noise. The earmuffs work great for that. The next thing after that is the dry eraser board and the markers. You know, on the dry eraser board, if somebody's nonverbal but they can write or communicate, um, we use, you know, it, it works great for that. On the opposite side is um, Ben's, you know, Ben's teacher was one who taught me uh, or came up with the idea of put where it hurts on the back, you know, make it a two two for one there. And that's worked out really good. I've u- utilized that on calls. And I, like I tell police and fire departments, like, it doesn't even have to be a uh, somebody that's on the spectrum or special needs. You might just have somebody that just doesn't speak English or, or can't communicate, you know, and you can utilize that. Like, in, mm-hmm. so it has, you know, multiple, um, multiple things. And then once we get into stuff like the Rubik's Cube, our great problem solving stuff, um, we have rubber worms, our great just little kids' toys de escalating. Uh, the so you know I talk about the soybean, the lava, um, the, you know it's a little soy soybean thing, and you know the marble mesh, you know the the bendy call it like the bendy state a snake or bracelet. They like that because they can shape it and do a, you know different stuff. And then there's just some other like just sensory stuff in there. I give you the bag. Here's the inventory list of all the stuff in it, so it's easy to then go. Okay, yeah, we should have this, or we should have you know this stuff, and then they can go on Amazon. They can order a new sensory kit, or they can order you know more earmuffs or fidget spinners or whoever they you know decide to do. Um, you know, I I try to validate it all the time. You know, like, and I'll ask people, and you know, the the biggest validation I've gotten is from some other you know uh, from like volunteer firefighters that I've came across. Um, or and career firefighters that um, either worked in special needs or special needs teacher or their like wives have been a special needs teacher and they've said that's everything my wife has in her desk 
that's everything. Like I had a, a, a firefighter tell me, like, I, I, I teach special needs. It was over in LaPorte County. He goes, Matt, that's everything I have that I give my kids. Oh, that's cool. So I'm like, so like it, it that helped validates, you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now you brought up that dry erase board and I thought that was pretty neat because you actually have a picture of like a, a outline of a person. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a shadow of, I guess you would yeah. say. And then, you know, they could circle or point. Um, there's even a, a place where you can ask certain questions mm-hmm. and, and say, you know, do you, your address or phone or, you know, things yeah, like that. Yeah, that, that all come from, uh, that all came from uh, Ben's um, teacher, Miss Curtis, at his school. Um, she's on, again, like when I kind of had the dem like what I got from Ohio was kind of a, a rough, you know, thing of what they were doing. And then I would, I would, as I kind of build, I call them like my demo packs, but I was like building the first ones. I took it to, to Ben's speech therapist. I took it to his ABA therapist or the OT therapist or his teachers and said, Hey, you know, you work with children that are on the spectrum. Does this, how does this line up? And they were the ones that were like, yeah, that's really good. And you could add this or, you know. Or, you know, change this around. And it was Ben's teacher was the one who, she goes, you know, you should put where it hurts on the back. So the original dry erase reports, I was just buying from Amazon. I was laminating. I was printing those off myself, laminating those myself. And print point and crown point was, hey, I bet we can make these up ourselves. We have the materials. And they they literally merged that too, that I no longer had to laminate it. They made them in a box of 50 and I just, you know, put it in. So that's what makes Ben's bags kind of... Not trademarked by our own thing is nobody else has that. Like nobody else is doing the wear it hurts on the boards. Want more? Good. The Counts Fire Podcast will be right back after this. Did you know? For 100 years, the Couts Fire volunteers have responded to every request for service. They have continuously upgraded and maintained their tools and apparatus to ensure prompt and professional response. All of this would not be possible without the generous contributions from the community and beyond. If you would like to help support the Couts Fire Department, go to CoutsFire.com backslash donate or by mailing your donation to Couts Fire, P.O. Box 325, Couts, Indiana, 46347. Your generosity is greatly appreciated and every amount helps. From all of the volunteers at Couts Fire, thank you. You speak about Ben's Blue Bags and you come out and you give us presentations about the bags, but what is the why? What's the what's the reason? So the reason why I come out and, and do the presentation is I want to teach first responders the you know the why. Why do you, why is it so important to know about what what autism is? So what is autism? So we go into it's a, it's a neurological disorder. It's an umbrella disorder. It's spectrum and it's lifelong. And like I tell people with what I mean like when it's lifelong, people with autism don't outgrow autism. It's not, it, it's associated as a pediatric, you know, um, disease or something that's diagnosed in, the, in, in, in young, young as three years old. But like I tell everyone, like these kids, these kids that are on the autism spectrum at 18 years old, they don't stop being autistic. It's something that's going to, that's going to be lifelong, um, that's going to be with them. But with stuff like speech therapy, occupational therapy, and even applied behavior analysis therapy, they can uh, better learn on how to cope with these improved behaviors. And one thing I was talking about, and, and some people granted, some people just kind of look at me, but you know, estimated lifelong cost for care is sixty thousand a year per uh, per child in the U.S. Um, that that's huge. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So if you don't have 
good insurance and you know and and can't get a waiver you know like that that's that's pretty uh, a pretty big financial burden on a family um you know statistics um as of you know 2018 one in 59 uh children um is diagnosed with, with autism uh, four times uh, males than females. So, you know, with our population, with with stats like 1 in 59, the chance of an encounter are going up all the time. And, the, and then need, or them needing something, you know, an emergency situation um, goes up all the time. So it's better for us to, you know, understand how they see the world and how they think. When I talk about it being a umbrella disorder, Autism before, you know, years ago was kind of by itself as a diagnosis, where now it could be under um, autism, it could be Asperger's, it could be pervasive development disorder, or not otherwise specified pervasive development disorder. So a lot of those diagnoses were kind of by themselves, and it all falls under the spec, all under the umbrella of autism. Um, When I talk about being a spectrum... Everybody on the spectrum falls different. So when you talk about their measured IQ, they can be highly gifted. I'm talking like doctors, engineers, professors, you know, highly educated or very severe where just basic measured IQ is really falls low. Social interaction. Um, they can be active but odd or uh, passive or aloof. You know, their motor skills we talk about, they can be very agile or gross awkward, where, you know, the gross awkward, um, they need constant assistance of just walking and stuff like that, or very agile, where, you know, they could be uh, um, Olympic, you know, trained a- a- athletics, like, because they, they'll take stuff to a mastery level. And they and a lot of times, they don't always understand their strength and their endurance. You know, motor skills, they could be very coordinated, where you give them um, a puzzle, a Rubik's Cube, anything like, where, you know, hand-eye coordination, video games, stuff like that they're off the charts or it could be very uncoordinated where a simple occupational therapy task could be just taking a straw and putting it into like a pop can or soda can. Um, and then the sensory, we talk about hyposensitive versus hypersensitive. And I always ask, you know, the first responders, I'm like, what do you think is more, what should be more concerned about the hyposensitive or the hypersensitive? And then explain that, you know, hypersensitivity, we need to treat our patients as hypersensitive and, um, until we understand, you know, if they, you know, can can t- tolerate touch or not, and then we go on from there. Now, when the first responder gets on scene, how can they identify some of these um, triggers or issues for us to be able to understand that we need to use the bag or um, that this person may be uh, autistic or on the spectrum? So, first responders need to understand that everyone on the spectrum is different. So, what one person's trigger is is not always going to be the same as somebody else's. Um, but the consistency is you should be able to see the way they're acting is something is causing that trigger. Now, where you have to be a detective and where you have to kind of look around is what's what that trigger is. That trigger could be as simple as like a slight, you know, lights and sirens or as complicated as just white noise. But with these triggers, once you recognize that they're, they're triggered or they're, they're having a hard time is to eliminate those things. And then, like, you know, recognize their stimming. If their stimming is a lot of that, that hand flapping, that twirling, it, it, it's their way of calming down. They have, a, they have a greater chance of something happening because they don't recognize danger. They don't recognize hot. They don't recognize cold. They don't re- recognize if a house is on fire. Now, for me, being able to talk about autism and the different levels of the spectrum, if you will, 
for a lot of departments or a lot of people, I should say, it's not something that they normally just sit down and talk about. It's not something that they look and say, I need to learn about this. So you coming in and having this presentation actually brings that knowledge to the guys that would normally not have these conversations and they would not normally be able to identify these certain things. And for, you know, for me, uh, for example, just sitting through your class, I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the presentation that you give is, is very um, well put together. It's um, very knowledgeable. What are some of the things that you hear as far as feedback from the departments or from the, the first responders that you talk to as far as this program? So the, the feedback I, I'm getting is is they actually enjoy it. They're like, hey, you really, you know, you, they kind of like um, – I was, I was like, you know, you come with some credibility, Matt, because you have a son that's on the spectrum, but you're also a first responder. And and that's kind of like, like the credibility I, um, that, uh, again, it just kind of comes naturally because, you know, I've learned stuff from Ben, but I've also, as I was learning from Ben, I was going on these calls. And, and, and that's like one thing that when I talk about the scenarios was, it was, man, like I was going on these calls and we we're having, it might not have even been like the the patient was actually on the spectrum, but it was like their parent, like their parent got in a car accident and they're like so worried about their car or they just, they can't process that. They're like, Oh yeah, my son's autistic in the back seat. Can you do something? And I'm like, you know, if it wasn't for understanding the way Ben acts and thinks and being with Ben, you know, 24 seven, that I, I probably would not be as a good first responder. And then that, that kind of segued into like, I got to teach or I felt like the need of like, man, I really need to help, all first responders step up their game. Um, you know, the state, you know, makes, made everyone some years ago did like a mandatory autism training. And at the time it, it was good, but it really has not kept up to what we need. And, you know, I, I've definitely, t- you know, taken it to the next level. Um, because, like I said, because I'm on two sides. I'm a dad, you know, whose son is on the spectrum, but I'm also a first responder, with, you know, for the last 22 years. So seeing both, you know, having that, that, having both sides is huge. You know what I mean? And I know, and being in, you know, the other thing is being an instructor, like, you know, teach, being a fire instructor, being an EMS instructor, I under, I've had to, you know, better understand how people learn. And I, I did my best to make this program where it was as interactive as possible, show videos, show, you know, and have different graphs of more than just me just speaking. So having like the videos in there, you know, I feel like we could talk, you know, like one of the videos I talk about dangerous situations and I talk about like drowning being the leading cause of children with autism under 90%. And then I have a news article, you know, and shows it, you know what I mean? I think that that brings it home more like that, mm-hmm. that makes it real versus just, you know, what I just had a news clip where it's actually, you know, it's the sister, you know, or the aunt talking about, uh, you know, um, a five-year-old boy, you know, perishing up in Michigan. You know what I mean? Like, that hits home. Like I want to hit home. I want you guys to feel that because I want it to resonate with you. You, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that, that's mm-hmm. my goal is I want to resonate with the first responders. So it's not something they just brush off. And I, and, and I can tell you, man, I've even like tackling some of these police departments. Um, they'll come in with like, yeah, we're, we didn't think we were going to learn anything new because they've been showing them the same video over and over again. Right. And they're like, you come in and you give like a real life story and, and stuff like that. And, they get it. You know what I mean? You, you know, I, my goal is I just wish I could get more people to do present it. You know what I mean? Like like I said, I, take the Ben's Blue Bag names off of it just to be able to present this program 
you know, it's been the hardest part. You know what I mean? But again, like nobody else is doing this. Nobody else is going out and doing a program. And at the end of the program, here's a bag now for you to use. Right. Uh, it's something, like I said, I stumbled across it. It was never, you know, the original intent of the program. But I just kind of keep running with it until, um, until it runs out right now. Now, during an emergency situation, how would someone possibly act? Would they just... I know what when you talk about it with the first responders and stuff, it's during an emergency they may resist you or they may come to you, one of the two. You don't really know. Um, could you explain that a little bit? So during, you know, like I talked about a segment about dangerous situations, and we talk about water. Um, you know, the first part, I talk about the water part and about drowning is a leading cause of death in children with autism with 90% occur under the age of 14. And as I was doing that, um, what came out was I had first responders asking me about the why. Well, why, Matt? And the with the why with water is that number of stimuli it's so associated with the water, it hits all their senses. It's the feel of the waves. It's the sounds It's the, uh, of the water. It's the, the splashing and the light reflecting off the surface. Um, and even the smell can be enticing to them. And, and as, I, as I really like, like start thinking about this, um, you know, where do we all go on spring break? Where do you go? Where do you go on spring break? The beach. Flo the beach, right? Right. The Florida. Are we not all kind of attracted to water? Does not everyone like you know talk about living life at the beach is better and all that stuff? Mm -hmm. But but again, but we understand that like we don't go in cold water. Like you know, like like they don't under you know a lot of times that cold water they they, they could care less. You know what I mean? They'll go to any water or you know attracted. Right. And the other thing, you know, I, I talk about also is um, there's another group of people that also seem to be attracted to water, and it's dementia patients, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm I mean, on the search and rescue team, and that's we have a book called Lost Person Behavior, and it's all the statistics. And when you look in the autistic spectrum or you look in dementia patients, um, they always recommend water. You know, that's that's where they're attracted. Yeah. It's like a magnet. They they, they always right. want to go there. You and, know? And, and my and the joke I tell in class, I go, but what do you what do they build around every assisted living facility in nursing home? Ponds. A pond. <laughs> right. It's like and I know because of stone water and stuff like that, but it is it is kind of like ironic that, you know, we, we we put these, you know, dementia patients in these in these buildings and then you build a pond around it. And it's like I guess it's one way to keep them right, right there. I mean, yeah. if they're attracted to it and it's they're protected. You yeah, know? at least at least it's the first place you should go and look. Right. So, with dangerous situations, you know, we talked about fire and about with people with autism may continue to resist or restrain during a fire emergency. You know, I really hit home with firefighters must stay with a person with AST or hand them off uh, to another caregiver. They may try to go back into a building. And the why is uh, adults uh, with autism are just as likely as children to hide in a fire. Uh, situation. So checks should be done in closets, under beds, and behind furniture during a search and rescue. And then the video part I play is, um, it was at Arizona, a 12-year-old boy um, smelled smoke, um, woke the family up, got, you know, the family got, you know, headed out the door, got him out, was heading out. Somehow they lost track and the boy ran back inside and was, ended up huddling next to the dad's bed and the, the, house went up really quick and you know the first couple of times it was really hard to present that you know think about that and, and for me it's gotten a little bit better but i want to hit home every time with every firefighter that you know 
that's the last thing we ever want to happen. You know, we don't, you know, mm-hmm. we've always, like everything since I was a brand new firefighter, when I've taught fire prevention stuff, you know, we teach people get out, stay out. You know, I can remember being a kid, you know, my parents tell me, you know, hey, you know, if there's ever a fire in the house, you get out, you go, you go by the mailbox, you go by the big tree, you know. So to think that somebody would run back into a burning building because they, you know, not recognizing danger, it's kind of a hard, you know, hard thing to wrap around your head as a firefighter. Now, Matt, if someone wants to get in contact with you to have you come out and do a presentation or even possibly um, give to your program that you guys are doing, how, how would they do that? So they can email me, um, bensbluebags at gmail.com. Uh, they can send me a message on Facebook um, at bensbluebags. Um my cell phone, uh, 219-808-4230. Um, uh, the Catan Crop Point Fire, even like on our city website, they put like a ba- uh, page now for crown, um, for Bentley bags. I can, you know, just leave me a message at the fire department. Obviously, I'll, I'll get back to them as soon as I can. And, um, if they want to donate like anything, rather like they want to donate, like say they want a bag or something like that, they can write checks right to Bentley bags. So, Matt, if someone that's listening right now would like to get a bag donated to their fire department or their police department, uh, how much is each bag to for that way they can uh, make that donation? So, each bag is a $100 donation. And, again, I'll set them up with the bag with, with all the items in it, the inventory list. And um, and then, you know, they're good to go. And then, um, like I said, through the training, um, as long as it's the district one department, I'll come out and present. Um, I still have, you know, I have departments all the time. It's just kind of working up my schedule and lining up their training nights. Um, and, and like I said, it doesn't matter to me. I'll, I've gone on Saturday mornings, Saturday, you know, you know, Tuesday afternoons. I don't, I'll, I'll present, you know, as long as I'm not, it, it's not my shift day, I'll, like, I'm, I'm, I'll come out and present. So. So any organization that's listening right now that would like to have Ben Bluebag come out, I tell you that this program and the way he presents it is absolutely worth having him come out. Matt, I appreciate you sitting down and talking with me today. If there's ever anything that we could do more, just let us know. Thank you so much, Kevin. Like, and I think this is awesome what you guys are doing and uh, just kind of help spreading the word. Absolutely. Well, again, Matt, thanks. Thank you, Kevin. For more information about the Couch Fire Department, visit CoutsFire.com. Thank you for your support.